Welcome, everyone, to this week's Really Big Fan Podcast. We are having very important conversations before the music hit, and we had to stop them for you, so I hope you appreciate it. I'm your host, Chizuk. I am joined, as always, by my wife and co-host, acronym, SUB. Whew, what a week we've had. We've done multiple things. So many things. And, and that's abnormal for us. Very much so. I'm very tired. You're an indoor cat. I am. Absolutely. <laughs> I like playing my video games. I like watching movies on my couch. And I like sleep. And there were things I really wanted to do this week. So we went to Space Dive. We did. It was a blast. We were there when it didn't get raided by the fire department. It's true. Uh-huh. It's absolutely true. We went on the first night and they hit them on the, what, the second night? Yep. There was uh, flame performers and everybody was wearing flammable clothing. It's always those people throwing fire around that gets the party shut down. Yep. And there were about 500 people in there. Yeah. And the ma- max I've ever gotten in there is three. How, so When we went on Thursday, there was a lot of people. There was a lot of people. A lot. Of- it was very body to body, but it was totally worth it. If you've never been to Space Dive at the Tangent... As long as they don't cancel it for the rest of our lives after that, right? you should go next year. It's yeah, just around May 4th. You're essentially walking into the cantina from Star Wars. Yep. There's a bunch of aliens and people dressed as Star Wars people. And I wasn't aware of how, how much of a, a LARP it was going to be. Mm-hmm. So I didn't. So I like wore my mask for the first 10 minutes and it got all fogged up. And then I was like, I'm going to take my mask off so I can actually see <laughs> what this looks like. And it looked great. I, I broke alcohol edge because I don't know if anybody knows that I'm sober here, but I broke alcohol edge just to try blue milk because I really needed to know what that tasted like. Strong. Yeah, uh, the whoever the bartender was, you got your money's worth because I could not finish the drink. So much alcohol. So strong. I was like, I will not be able to drive if I drink this. Yeah, <laughs> but May is, May is a full month. Yes. We we had Space Dive, uh, free comic book day was last Saturday for me. Uh, we we got Motor City Comic Con coming up in a few weeks. We went to Blink last night. We did, and we uh, we saw Guardians, and that was a that was a fun time too. I'm sure we won't spoil anything. Yes. But, uh, I, this is going to be spoiler free today. We made sure before we got on here. I think it's think it's probably my top five, if not my top three. Yep. Same as far as Marvel movies. Very very good time. But we've got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking to longtime friend and fellow podcaster, Nate Bender, about his love of punk music and vinyl records and stuff like that. Before we do it, though, it's time for the headlines. That's not what the headlines music sounds like. No, that's definitely sounds like Blue's Clues, though, and that was the first thing that came to mind. <laughs> well, it's not like I can say, hi, I'm MTV News with Kurt Loder, because as I'll kick off the headlines here and interject, MTV News is no longer. Yeah. And there were some iconic news broadcasts within our lifetimes. I know for it's a cultural you, It's a cultural touchstone. Yeah. For me, I, I watched MTV News, and I'm pretty sure... If I'm not mistaken, it actually wasn't Kurt Loder. It was Gideon Diego that was live during the 9-11 broadcast. Okay. And that was where I got my news. So we got home early, got picked up, and me and my best friend, which they let my mom pick up my best friend, which is abnormal as hell. It wouldn't happen today. Wouldn't happen today. But uh, we were sitting in my bedroom with the little box TV watching MTV News about the Twin Towers. And uh, you had Kurt Cobain, right? Yeah. Yep. Amongst many other news stories. It's funny because 
each generation kind of like Kurt Loder was the cornerstone of MTV News. But who did you just mention? I had Gideon Yego and he was way he was after my time. But like Tabitha Soren is is like that's the 90s. Yep. Yep. Totally. It was always Kurt Loder and Tabitha Soren. And then I know there was a couple other MTV people that transitioned from VJs to MTV News. And I don't remember any of your names. And I'm very sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's uh, it's just another um, another indication that, you know, the world keeps spinning or MTV News. Yeah, a lot of people were saying, you know, hey, maybe if we uh, still had music on MTV News, MTV News would matter. But it's just, it's one of those things where, you know, they changed the programming. And honestly, I would have just gotten rid of a couple hours worth of Rob Deirdrick's Fantasy Factory in order to keep For going. MTV but- News. Well, that was something I was reading an article about it at AV Club. And they talked about the fact that as MTV News uh, became less and less relevant. Part of it was the rise of the internet and the 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 uh, what would have been MTV News turned into stuff like Vice and BuzzFeed. Yep. And um, eventually MTV was just like, well, it's too much money to do that. Somebody tweeted and I like I couldn't help but laugh, but I also was like, oh man, who was like, what did you do? Now Kurt Loder doesn't have a home. And I was like, oh. And then I actually saw him tweet and retweeted it earlier today. It was like, you know. I saw him say something about being very honored mm-hmm. for everybody. Everybody that was thinking of him at this time. Oh, the Walter Cronkite of our generation. <laughs> straight up. Straight up. It's crazy. Uh, but another big uh, bit of real world news is the writer strike entering its second week. As, uh, they're just trying to, you know, get some livable wages out of, uh, out of you know, the, the studios and the studios not budging because they the, the studio heads want to keep all the money. Yep, that they're they're already getting with the writer strike. Uh, we've got Blade, the Blade reboot, and the fifth season of Stranger Things have uh, halted production while the writer strike is going on. And it's really funny. I saw over the weekend too, like the Hollywood Reporter uh, had some article of like, here's the shows and movies that the writer strike is depriving you of, and it's like, no, here's the shows and movies that the studios are depriving us of because they won't pay the writers what they're owed. Of course, but if they say that, they're going to ruin their relationship. This is the reason why I'm not in corporate journalism anymore. Sure. They tell you what you're allowed to say, and I'm not a fan of it. So that's why we're streaming on Twitch. And really, <laughs> the I've uh, somebody that I, I listen to very frequently, podcast-wise, was talking about the fact that like part of the writer's strike is the fact that they don't get shit for streaming. No, they don't. They don't get anything. And they're like, can we get two percent so actually snoop dogg w- went on record on that yeah he was talking about how it's very akin to the streaming service problem that we have with music yeah and how like music doesn't get paid as well i talked to other artists they can barely pay a phone bill with the wages that they buddies, get their band stuff our buddies at bathroom in the future use their uh streaming every christmas to buy little caesar's five dollar pizzas yep and uh this year i think was the best year ever they got to get three of them yeah and that's insane. Like that's it's depressing. And you have that happening and then you've got some celebrity support happening. I know Pete Davison went and got a bunch of pizzas. Good. And went out there. There was a lot of the people from Abbott Elementary, the actors, were out on their on their feet doing the thing. I think I saw a picture with Mark Hamill. Yeah. He was out there with them. I think he went out there as well. And then Imagine Dragons. They decided they would perform for free. You should have just bought a pizza, my guys. 
I don't know. I'm sure somebody was happy to see Imagine Dragons. Well, here's the thing. Imagine Dragons, with the exception of, uh, what is it? Does Justin like Imagine Dragons? Justin, oh, he likes 21 Pilots. Oh, it's okay, I was going to make a dig at Justin if I could, but I can't. <laughs> Love you, Justin. Um, but Imagine Dragons is now the new Nickelback. It's true. Yeah, now that Nickelback is in their redemption arc, Imagine Dragons is taking all the heat. Yep. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> So, yeah, it's one of those things to keep in mind that, you know, when when you're like, oh, my new TV show has been delayed or oh, my movie's been delayed. Well, I mean, people just try to make a living, yo. Yeah. And if you love us, love the other writers and you know, sure. show creators and stuff like that, because we just do this from the seat of our pants a lot of the time. There's right. a little bit of research that goes into it. Not only are we not part of the writers union, but uh, our show is completely off the cuff. Exactly. So there's no writing involved. But if you love us, take care of those other people, support them, signal boost their tweets. It's really important. Absolutely. It absolutely is. Something that's a little bit less important is that uh, Enter the Spider-Verse movie that comes out in June will have its own Burger King burger. It's uh, You can get a Whopper with a red bun with black sesame seeds, just like Miles's costume. Okay, A, we're going to do that, but B, no. I need to see the spot try to eat one of those. Yeah, it goes in one hole and comes out the other <laughs> kind of thing. That's If they were smart, they'd have animated like a 30-second or 15-second ad of that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Just of him putting the burger in different holes and it coming back out. Question about that, too. Have you seen the animation panel that has been going around for that movie? No, I don't think so. So there, it shows the spot, and it's a really cool animation style or whatever. He's positioned in the same way as Miles' spray paint drawing. That's fascinating. There's there's so much Easter egg. Even oh, that first movie. So weird. There's so much. If I've never, I cannot remember the last time a movie had so much stuff that watching the extra features and having the people who made it like show you like the fact that they were animated at different frames per second. That's so on cool to me. What universe they came out of? Yeah, it was just amazing stuff. Well, and we know I'm obsessed with his mom in the trailer for the second one snapping, and you see the Puerto Rican flag pop up because he's getting a B in Spanish. Yeah, like hey, <laughs> just it's real quick, but the attention to detail is just immaculate. Yeah, I can't. Looking forward to it. Absolutely looking forward to it. And speaking of Puerto Rico. Have you was in Puerto Rico this weekend? Oh, I was crying the entire time that Zelina Vega was getting her moment. Yeah. And I know that she's like an acquired taste and whatever, but I'm very happy for her. And she got to honor Ray, she got to honor Eddie, and she got to honor her husband by doing one of his moves. So that was pretty awesome. And now Damien Priest is being um, hailed as, you know, the next... The coming of the next big thing. Yeah, now yeah. that he got to shine on his own and do this, even though obviously Bad Money got the win, yeah. he's now being looked at as like some one of the future people of the company, which is awesome. Right. Well, it's one of those things where almost like when Sami Zayn fought uh, the guy from Jackass at WrestleMania, is like you got out there with a celebrity, they did not get hurt, and you put on a banger of a match with a person that, you know, doesn't do this every day. Yeah. And things. So obviously you're very good at what you do kind of thing. I Honestly, as much as we don't like Austin Theory, I think him getting to interact with like Steve Austin had a little bit of that vibe too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like, okay, we can trust you. Yes. To, to do that stuff. But it's so, it's got to be really cool too for Finn Balor to like see the younger generation of NXT guys that he's kind of overseeing now in Judgment Day, all getting their, like Rhea Ripley's getting her moment. Now Damian Priest is getting her moment. Dominic is 
food out of every building. He's got nuclear heat, which is a phrase you'll hear later in this show. Isn't Finn now also in the running for that new title? They had, okay, so Monday they, they started a tournament for the new title and he lost his match. So already so being that he was the first what universal champion or yeah, something yeah, it's like because he popped his shoulder yeah like i kind of wish they would have given him another opportunity to get that but yeah. um at the same time he he made savio vega look like a million bucks certainly did did you see the clip from the opposite certainly angle did. like it, it's obviously very pulled punches and stuff like that but when they showed it on tv he looked like a million bucks yeah so, well, it was, well it was honestly it, i want to say kind of start to finish it was a really good show it really was like they started with eo sky and bianca and they brought the house down and then like like i think if there were if there were seven matches at least five to six of them were really good i remember distinctly zoning out during the seth rollins match yeah. Like, the only part I really caught was him doing the three curb sounds. Right. But other than that, like, and everybody that watched that match, it, like, was very focused on it, said he did everything he could with almost. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, but, what, you can't really ask for more, but, like, I recently started to tune out Seth Rollins. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> because of the singing. <laughs> yeah, probably. You hear the singing, you're like, oh, oops, Seth Rollins is on the screen. Yes, exactly. And and the Bobby Lashley. And the Bobby Lashley. Yeah, it's, it's hard to... Anything Bobby Lashley, I just... Not there. <laughs> I don't want to say WWE is back, but uh, they're, doing, they're doing some pretty good stuff, I yeah. gotta say. And AEW's in town tonight. We were just at the LCA 24 hours ago, <laughs> and now there's going to be a wrestling event. Yes. And, and for once, we are not going to that. <laughs> true. It's very true. I'll be watching it on TV. Uh, the last thing I wanted to bring up as far as the news is a little bit of uh, the the world. It's a, it's kind of a good news, bad news situation, but it's an exemplary of uh, we're living in the end times of the world. So I told you guys a couple of weeks ago how over in Japan, they are absolutely out of Pokemon cards. They're having to go back to printing to get Pokemon cards into the store so that people can buy Pokemon cards. Well, the bad news is that a 31-year-old British man uh, has been sentenced to life in prison after beating his 50-year-old neighbor with a bag filled with Pokemon tins because his neighbor called him a pedophile. Um, the 31-year-old man does have some uh, some learning disabilities, uh, but still, he's going to spend the rest of his life in prison because he beat a guy to death with Pokemon tins. That is not the reason I'd want to be in prison. I'm going to try to go out on a higher note there. <laughs> right. Uh. <laughs> uh, but the, the good news... The good news is in uh, Akihabara over in Japan, a store has made a display specifically uh, with po- that they stock with Pokemon cards every day and only middle schoolers and younger are allowed to buy out of that display to make sure that the kids who these things are actually for can get their hands on them so that us adults who are just snapping them all up and trying to raise yeah. them can't, uh, can't. I don't know how I'd feel if we went to target and they were like yeah if you're not a middle schooler you can't buy these transformers <laughs> yeah i mean that probably suck but like the, you know that the reason that they sell the transformers at this point is for you guys oh, so like that's why yeah but they still put it in the toy section to make you guys feel like you're young again yeah for sure <laughs> but when it comes down they to even, you know they even moved all the stuff that was in the media section like the ninja turtles action the like 30 dollar ninja turtles action figures and the stranger things they moved that all in the toy section at target 
Yeah. Instead of having it in a separate section. Well, sometimes they need to do that because that was even something that I told you when we were walking into LCA last night is that there was supposed to be a limit on the posters. Yeah. There were specific posters for every Blink-182 tourer stop. And uh, the person that was running the merch booth outside sold them all to the first person because they didn't know they were supposed to give the limit. And they were already online. It was popping up in the Blink Discord. So I would like to believe that even if it was a figure that I really, really wanted, if I went to Target and they said only middle schoolers are allowed to buy this figure, I'd be like, that's okay. Yeah, I feel like you wouldn't have, you're not a person that's going to have a tantrum because you want it. At that point, you'd just be like, okay, well, I'll just buy it online, whatever. Like, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. No, I mean, we've got a we've got a high school down the street and then a middle school around the corner. I'd just be like, hey, kid, you want to go to Target? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that that would be one of those uh, Chang abducts Shirley's kids a la community. More than likely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and no matter how much I told me and the kid told the cops that there was no sex involved, I would still be going to jail. <laughs> I was still, Absolutely. The last thing I wanted to point out, because we said we were going to talk about Guardians and we didn't really fit it in, other than to brief overview, I am not going to tell you anything, so there's not going to be any spoilers. All I want to say is that if you are concerned about the visuals of animals with animatronic parts attached to them, or, or hints to animal abuse, keep in mind that that's going to happen. There's not like a intro trigger warning on the movie and some people on Twitter were upset about that. Sure. There is also an F-bomb in the movie. Yep. So if you think that your kid can't handle that, then this is not- The language is pretty salty. Yeah, it is. It's listed as PG-13, but it could have probably been an R. I'm sure Marvel tried to get it down as close to PG-13 as they could to make it accessible. It's not quite a Deadpool movie, but it is probably the saltiest language of any Marvel cinematic movie. Yeah, and you you made a good comment. It was like, if, if this didn't have so much comedy in it, it would be a horror. Oh, for sure. Yeah, all the stuff that you, you, you get of like Rocket's backstory is very horror movie- Esque. But because it's Guardians, they find a way to like lighten. spin it and yeah, lighten the mood so that you're not just horrified by, you know, his origins and what he went through. So if and children keep that in mind and don't be a Karen and freak out online instead when you yeah. see it. And there's a few things for sure that I'm very glad that I didn't have spoiled for me. And that's why we won't spoil them for you. Things that like I'm glad I didn't know were coming. And then when they happened, I was like, oh, that's awesome. I didn't know I was going to see that. That's cool. So there you go. Uh, we're going to take a short break here. We're going to come back with our interview segment. It's going to be another little little bit of a long one, but I think it's a real good one. We're talking to Nate Bender about his, uh, his introduction to punk rock music next with the Really Big Fan Podcast. It's the Really Big Fan Podcast acronym, and uh, Chizuk's hanging out here and uh, with another familiar voice if you've been following me for uh, from show to show for a while he is the uh, voice of limit break radio as well as what is it, let's play daily gaming news which you can listen to uh, every single weekday on wherever you're getting your podcast it's mr nathan bender hi guys great to see you nate how you been i'm good i'm good thank you for having me i'm uh, excited to be here yeah so one of the things when we started the really big fan podcast that we thought would be cool uh that we could branch out from from the last show I was doing was we didn't just have to talk about nerd stuff. We could talk about music. We could talk about bands and stuff like that. And I know that in uh, in hanging out with you over the last couple of years as friends, uh, you have a 
great love for punk rock music. And I really wanted to dig into that and find out, like, where did that start for you? I do. Um, it's like, God, where did where is my history with punk start? So it probably starts with my dad and stealing his records uh, at some point. OK, uh, he didn't have too many punk records, but The Clash was in there. Uh, the talking heads, that kind of stuff. And, you know, like one of my, I, I guess one of the first bands that I showed a interest in outside of like, oh, it's my parents' music or it's just something that I heard on the radio was Green Day. Uh, and that okay. was like, like Dookie. I had only, I had, I had CDs before I had Dookie, but Dookie was the first one that I went out and bought with my own money. Nice. Um, so, you know, at some point, my my music collection was Green Day and Soundgarden and Candlebox. But the Green Day was like, was all me. Uh, and it was, you know, like, it was something that, uh, it's not like my parents disapproved of it, but they didn't, they didn't totally get it at the same time. Okay. Um, you know, I, I know that, that uh, both of you have some context for my parents but uh both of my parents worked in radio in the 70s and 80s and what i find so interesting is that they actually worked in new york radio right in the midst of like when punk was becoming just a fucking massive thing nice. uh, okay <laughs> and and they it, it played no role in their lives like they literally lived on Roosevelt Island, like, you know, worked on Manhattan. And yet CBGB's never, never played a part in, you know, even in their professional lives, they were working a, a fucking rock and roll radio station, right? Like it just, I, to me, that's only weird. And I still struggle with that. But anyway, so uh, I, I started listening to Green Day and, uh, you know, my dad, as he's, uh, you know, uh, working and, and noting my interest, gets me an opportunity to see Green Day. Uh, this was uh, a, a show that was being put on through uh, 105.1 The Edge, and it was Green Day at the second house in uh, Pontiac. And I'm not sure if anyone remembers the second house, but it was a really not very big club. It was small. I mean, it wasn't tiny, but I would say, like, Clutch Cargos was big, okay. right? Like, it was small. And so like th that was and that was the gimmick book uh, the biggest band at the time that we can get right. at the smallest club and then give away tickets on the air. It was this huge thing and it was awesome. So that was like my first punk show that I ever went to. And I think it was the queers that ended up opening for them. Oh, wow. And I'm just like, this is the best thing that I've ever been to. Like, this is the coolest shit. And I got to meet them and they were totally cool and and super nice people. Uh, but like it was like. Like, oh, this is this is awesome. Um, and that I so I was like in middle school at that point. And then I think my taste in music kind of deviated based on some of my friendships. Like when I was in uh, a freshman in high school, I got really, really into like being a dance DJ because uh, my my buddy Andrew was super into it. So like I put it aside, but I came back to it uh, probably, you know, 
a couple of years into high school. And uh, that's when the obsession really like really took off uh, because I found a record store called Flipside Records at the time uh, it was in Clawson, Michigan. Uh, now it's in Berkeley. It's still around. Yep. Um, but at the time it was in Clawson and uh, I was working summers at a place, uh, this uh, Bloomfield Hills Country Club. I was a, a caddy. And when you're a caddy, you meet all types of really, really, really sketchy dudes that just work. That's what they do. They work there. Some of them are 40 years old and they're sketchy because they're still a caddy at 40. Uh, <laughs> some of them, some of them are sketchy because they're like, you know, 23 year old burnouts. And that was the dude that I was hanging out with. And uh, on our lunch break, he took us from Bloomfield to Clawson to go to this record store Flipside. Nice. And uh, that's where I discovered bootlegs and like, singles and songs that I by Green Day I had never heard before mm -hmm. and as soon as I got my own car like that was one of the places that I was going at every every opportunity that I could uh so my my natural interest in you know Green Day uh led me to kind of talking to to people there and taking recommendations from the the folks who worked there um and so yeah it opened me up into a, a much wider world of of punk rock but that's sort of like the origin there now that during that time frame did you ever fall into that loop of where they were talking about how once green day got like fully signed and everything there was like a disconnect with a lot of people where they were like well they're not real punk anymore because now they're signed and everything did you run into people like that that ever had like an issue with it or were you one of those people that I oh totally yeah i ended up i totally ended up becoming one of those people at, <laughs> at some point um, so right. like i'm like i feel like nate might have been one of these oh people, yeah 100 so right 100 100 it was like his dirty little secret that he he started it with dookie yeah 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 but no no i i mean look is the album <laughs> no i i mean that's the thing though is that like i was i was always really honest about uh you know the way that i got into it eventually I ended up working at Flipside, right? So awesome. I ended up being the dude behind the counter and was aware that there were these younger kids that were coming in and taking recommendations from me. And so I was, I, you know, I was always really, you know, like I, I always really laughed at those guys who were like, who were like, yeah, man, I came out of the womb listening to Amoebics. I don't know what you're right. talking about. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Uh, I, you know, I, I, I don't know what rancid even is, man. Like, you know, those guys, those guys cracked me the fuck up because it's like, get the fuck out of here. You're like, that's, that's right. bullshit. That's it's this, it's this weird one-upping contest where like, I have to yeah. say the most insane thing to yeah. out, outdo what you just said. Exactly. And I was there first. Yeah. There's so many people that when they get into music in any type, it's like, they have to go for like, well, what's the hardest thing that I can say that makes me sound super badass? Right. And then they're secretly listening to like I don't know. Yeah, like they're really, <laughs> they're really into Blink One Eighty Two, but they don't want to let anyone know. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so, like, I, I mean, like, I I definitely grew away from like the pop punk, but I was still listening to, you know, like, dude, I went to fucking. Uh, 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 What's the big festival in Chicago? Lollapalooza. Lollapalooza. I went to Lollapalooza in 05 
and was there in, you know, my fucking punk rock gear, uh, rocking out to, you know, uh, uh, oh God, uh, now he's got a polyphonic spree and like, there you go. You know, I'm, 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 I'm reach, I'm having to reach so far back. Right. <laughs> um, it is funny to hear your record store story because that absolutely gives me the nostalgia for when I was just graduating high school and like every week you got paid for McDonald's and you went to the record store and blew most of it on rec on CDs that you were going to listen to for the next seven days until you got your next hit of money. So you can yeah. go to the record store and buy more CDs. Yeah. For, and for a while, like I was like everyone else where I was going to the mall and FYE and I was getting Punkarama CDs. And like, yeah. that was how, you know, like the really, really common thing. And even with having some folks kind of point me in directions, uh, you know, through a, a record store that I liked and ended up being, you know, really solid and, and, and reliable uh yeah everyone fucking yeah everyone starts by uh you know listening to uh you know uh fat records comps and uh you know uh epitaph records uh stuff it's it, you know like to to kind of claim otherwise is is really uh really kind of silly and goofy but yeah you know i was for a while i was that that you know kid at the mall with uh you know with weird colored hair and uh uh fucking uh plaid pants and or cut off <laughs> shorts or you know i uh had a skateboard for a while and you know it kind of ca- it can it kind of came along with the the territory of being alive in the year 1999 like everyone had one of those things at least i still dress like that it's true <laughs> I'm staring. I'm staring at a checkerboard bag right <laughs> off camera here. I mean, it's uh, fun. It, you know, it is all all. It's everything to me. <laughs> I mean, it's it's funny how much of of the punk rock aesthetic kind of sticks around. Like, mm. I definitely, you know, like there were a couple of shirt vendors that I found where I was like, oh my god, this is perfect. Like one is, uh, like video game and nerd stuff done up like uh metal album covers. Yeah. And the other the other one is just like really simple uh, black shirt, white ink, but it's like all kinds. It's like anime and video games and movies right. and TV and all kinds of shit. So like uh, it's it's all kind of the stuff that I love, but in a way where I'm like, oh, I feel really comfortable wearing that. Um, Definitely. There's even like I, I know that there's a place in Grand Rapids. I forget what this place is called, but it's just a. It's a cave of wonders and weirdness, like so many things that exist within the store. And when I went in toward the back of it, the dude had a wall of patches and like some that were screen printed, but then some of them that were like legit patches. And he had everything like I was I was standing there going, do not use your credit card to buy 20 patches. Do (laughs) not do it. I'm so glad you mentioned patches because, like, I I even busted out the old punk rock nice. vest yes. here. I mean, no, like I this this was like this was the degree. Like, I was wearing this every day. Like, yeah. this was the degree of into this shit I was. Like, so you know, like this I don't think works as like everyday wardrobe anymore. But I no. you know can't can't bear to part with it. It was because um, in high school we had a guy that had the Green Day logo from Kerplunk, and he 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 took colored markers and put it on the back of his jacket as like before Dookie came out. Like he saw them before Dookie and the Dookie hit in that year. He wanted to let everybody know that he was 
he was on board before we were. <laughs> yeah, uh, kind of a kind of a common rephrase, man. I was into them before they were cool. Right, exactly. I want to go you back know. to something you said earlier when you were talking about your origin story. So your parents um, were working in New York while punk was happening. They had no like you didn't find anything in your dad's collection to be like, oh, dad, what's this? Kind of no. thing. it'd be a punk record. No, I, 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 yeah, and and it's it's a little heartbreaking too because it's like, like my my dad has a pretty curated vinyl section sure. at a selection at this point, and you know out of there, I you know like I said, I was able to to find a, an original pressing of uh, the Clash's London Calling, nice. and uh, you know a bunch of Talking Heads. Mm-hmm. But like that's about as far as it went. Like it, it, it you know, maybe there's there might be a, a television record in there. Uh, you know, Blondie probably. Right. But yeah. Like the Ramones or the Sex Pistols, just you know, like that kind of stuff. I think you know, just played absolutely no no role in what they did in any capacity professionally. It wasn't what they were interested in personally. They were much more the simon and garfunkel crowd at that point right um you know the, it, like i was born in 84 so this was like just before they had me this would have been like 79 through like 82 uh, in there but it was it was like it, you know that was like the punk rock renaissance that's when all of the shit was like jumping off especially in new york and yet it's wild to me that someone who worked in radio at that point wasn't more and i you know like punk rock wasn't a mainstream thing nor did it try to be and and that may be a big part of it is that like you know there was there was actually a big commercial push for punk in like 77 when you had you know the the sort of first generation of the sex pistols and the ramones before that whole like uh you know being on a a big label is like so not punk rock man sort of mentality hit but like you know sham 69 was on emi you know what i mean but like eventually it's it's funny because there uh, a couple of things were like turned the tide against big uh big record labels and it was mostly punk bands cutting songs about how much emi sucks you know what i mean so like a lot of that came out of uh, out of uh, the British punk rock scene and just sort of mutated into like, oh, all, you know, all major labels are are bad or whatever. Um, and and so, you know, I, I guess by the time they were working in in New York uh, in the early 80s, that like a lot of these bands that would have been notable from the time, you know, like the dc hardcore bands like a minor threat those dudes were not sending seven inches to radio stations you know what i mean (laughs) so that you know that kind of stuff uh, it's not that surprised but i was i i do remember growing up surprised like after i had kind of learned about punk as a genre um uh, that you know they didn't have any sex pistols or they didn't have any remotes like that that was always uh kind of surprising although you know when when i first got into green day i do remember my dad recommending the clash and the sex pistols and i think he even thought he had a sex pistols record but in any case yeah it, it it's uh it definitely is really strange that it was never 
like it never played even a, a casual role in in any of their lives. It's wild to me because like I kind of but obviously we know I worked with your dad before. So like I I have my own like image of your dad in my brain as like what I know he knows. And I wouldn't have even thought he would have known stuff like that either because it seemed classic rock. Everything that was, you know, basically morphed into that genre as a whole. Because sure. even when he would talk about like vinyls that he had and stuff like that, it was always the stuff that like you now hear on either like a CSX or you go on to a streaming service and find that playlist that's like, you know, uh, classic 80s, like yeah. certain bands like that, like the ACDCs and things of the world. And so for me, like I, I listened to tons of podcasts and things about different music. And one of the ones we were listening to was a, uh, an episode on Green Day. Yeah. And I think that they even touched base on the fact that like at some point, Bad Religion was one of the bands that like maybe broke into recording for a bigger label after a while. I think it might have been Epitaph. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I think the the guy from Bad Religion owns the Epitaph. Yeah, 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 yeah. Brian. At some point in the '90s, Bad Religion signed with a major label. Yes, that's what it to was. do some stuff <laughs> for a couple. I of think years it was like their that. second album. And let me tell you, ev- absolutely everyone should go listen to Into the Unknown from 1983 because it is a prog rock record. Yeah. Fucking keyboards and every I, it does not sound like bad religion. It's fucking insane. <laughs> but yeah, like it, that was one of those things where like, you know, like that definitely, uh, you know, helped set the mold moving forward from like 1984 and forward. Right. Where it was like major, major labels suck and they turn our favorite artists into garbage. Right. That was sort of the and and like. You know, things like, um, you know, the Suicide Machines, like, third record. That doesn't help. You know what I mean? It doesn't, that doesn't help at all. They were on Hollywood Records. And, you know, like, the cover was, like, them in suits. Like, it was right. just, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, what the fuck are you doing? This isn't. This isn't punk. This isn't like what I'm interested in. Like, I think their second record was called Battle Hymns and it was like awesome. It was great, like sort of like propaganda era artwork. It was really fucking cool. And then they came out with this. And like one of the thing, one of the songs on it was I'm going to buy you a rose garden. And it was just like, what are we what are we doing? Why? Why are we making the suicide machines do this? It's terrible. Uh, was there a moment for you that, like, if you if I tracked to even like the Green Day side of things, was there a moment where you stopped listening to Green Day because they sort of became that band at some point? Yeah, they did have a dip, yeah. and then like American Idiot was like the Renaissance was sort of the well. Actually, uh, to be honest, I really liked Nimrod, and I really liked Warning. I thought Warning yeah. was a really really good record. Like nobody else agreed with me, but there are still some songs on there that I think are really good, especially when you compare it to that album that they put out in like 2020. Sure. Whatever that was, that was just 20th century breakdown one or. Yeah. No, I think that I think that's the album. album. I I don't think that three album where it was like Uno Dos Trace. I'm going to pull it up. It's um, because uh, I remember when Nimrod came out, there were a few songs on there that was like. 
at that point, I'm in my mid twenties, and he stops. He stops singing about being a teenager and starts singing about being like. I think one of the songs starts with, "I was a young boy that had big plans. Now I'm just a, another shitty old man." And yeah, we were all like, "Yes, that's me. They're yeah. singing to me." Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a great song too. And I mean, like, even the really commercial stuff, like "Time of Your Life," and yeah, uh, you know, it was that was a great record. I I will defend that record, and I'll even defend Warning. I thought yeah. Warning was really, really good. Uh, and then, like, I, and I'll be honest, I thought American Idiot was really good, even though at that point it was not my taste in punk, and I could recognize yeah. that, right? Like, I could at the same time go, this is not my thing, but it's really fucking good. And I'm really glad that this is around and on the radio in you know the the time frame that it was like 2004 or 5 or whenever yeah, right cool. really cool <laughs> a little less eyeliner billy joe but like really fucking cool okay i think that's part of like getting getting older and more mature is being able to identify when a yeah. band is going in a direction you don't like but then also not being a shithead about it and just right. being like good for them they're doing right. what they want to do yeah. and i don't think they were even like necessarily going in a direct like that was still a very green day album like it sounded like Green Day and they were saying exactly what they wanted to say. Just fucking it like that whole record is really good. Mm. When they lost me is when American Idiot went to fucking Broadway. <laughs> and I went, no, no, no. I don't care if this is even rock and roll. This sucks. This just <laughs> fucking stinks. Like, fine, make your money off of it, but like, God, just like I I can't even imagine. I mean, yes, I can. The sweater-wearing white liberal fucking suburbanite that wants to go to the American Idiot Broadway show. Like, come on. Oh, and believe me, I looked. I looked to see what the cost was because it was one of those things where, like, at the time, I was trying to find a middle ground with my mom on things to do. And I was like, you want to go see a Broadway play? I want to know what this Green Day thing's about. The tickets were, like, over $100 a piece. And I was like... Oh my God! Did not have good money at that time at all, and was like, eh, "Okay, that's not happening." And I, I missed the chance, but I like, I had this inherent need to know what that looked like. Right, I needed to know. <laughs> I, I just, it just, it felt like you know, like American Idiot was like for, you know, somebody who thought Hamilton was too urban for them. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> It just, it, I was just like, this uh, This sucks. I don't, I, like, I wasn't even remotely curious about it. Uh, and, and yeah, so, you know, like, that's, that's where I think Green Day actually lost me. But, you know, it's not like I was going to put their patch on my vest or anything. Um, but, yeah, like, they were definitely the, the band that, that got me into it. And then, you know, as I'm, I'm patronizing Flipside and going and, you know, buying bootlegs and, uh punkorama cds uh a, a guy by the name of jeff who was in a local uh uh oh god well how do i describe them they were sort of they like they were like a japanese d-beat worship band called feast or famine and uh he slowly started introducing me to like crust punk and hard, like really hardcore punk and like i had started to find stuff like you know like gorilla biscuits and minor threat on my own uh 
And then he just like sort of mainlined me right into uh, East Coast, like street punk, uh, Mankind and The Pissed and Brutally Familiar and Quincy Punks and Vomit Punks and like like all of these kind of now like semi-obscure bands from, you know, like the the Massachusetts area um that i was just like this is the shit this is great there was and and at that point there was like no going back um it was it was sort of as soon as i found the the punk that was like never made for commercial consumption it was like oh this is it this is the real shit this is the actual shit and so much of that existed on vinyl so uh i actually I, I actually I when I was much younger, like uh, 16, you know, 15, 16, 17, I had a, a dance vinyl, you know, because I was trying to be a DJ for some fucking reason. Um, so I had a I had a small vinyl collection uh, from doing that that I actually sold off. And I'm really I really regret selling that. But that would have been the very beginnings of my vinyl collection. But restarting it with uh, punk rock music and uh the the mankind uh seven inch that i bought like it was just it was all over from there like that was that was like this is the kind of punk that i like this is the aesthetic that i like you know like the whole uh you know looks like it was done on a xerox copy or black, <laughs> like heavy black and white heavy high contrast all of that so that was just like this is great and so that was yeah that was my shit no go ahead um, is this the part where you were led into making your own music? No, I, I actually, so the first band that I started was called AWOL. Uh, and I, I think that was before I could drive. Like I was, I was definitely, I was 15. Wow. And, uh, started with like my, one of my best friends, Kevin, uh isaac and uh one of kevin's really close friends tommy and that was like a street punk like oi sort of inspired uh inspired punk band so but like i you know like they they were just really nice to like let me be a part of it right like i played bass but like i didn't really know what the fuck i was doing and but the base uh, is a good place to start if you don't know what you're doing. It is. And and to be fair, you know, it's punk rock. So like our thing was like, you know, we would we would have like the boom box, right? And we would put a, a a tape in it and and record just on the boom box and we would listen back to it and we would look at each other and be like, Well, it's better than the casualties and then, you know, we would move on to the next song. Right. And and that was that was it. As long as it kind of met that bar, is it better than the casualties? Yeah, I am bung for life. Okay, yeah, it's better. It's better. And so, um, you know, like, yeah, that was that was uh, that was kind of our bar. And so, it wasn't it wasn't a very serious band? I, you know, we had we had a couple of those boombox recordings, and I think we played a couple of shows. But and I didn't find this out until recently. We had played, so we had played a show, uh, kind of like down the street from Flipside. It was like the first. I think it was our second show. But it was like the first like real show that we had ever played. And it was in a uh, skating rink that Tom's parents owned. So like we got like an entire night. And so we made flyers called Punk's Night Out. Night. And, 
you know, we had like 40 or 50, you know, kids with their parents show up and we set up at one end of the of the rink and just had like a small, you know, semicircle of, of people and then the entire rest of the fucking roller rink. And <laughs> and it was it was uh, so much fun uh, doing that. And uh, I didn't know this, but apparently that was like a that was like a really formative show for a whole bunch of people who went on to be in like kind of like crazy bands um so i i work with a guy named ryan and ryan it turns out uh lived in clausen went to that show he's his some of like he became best friends with uh uh, uh pete dick and tony and dick and tony were of eventually were in this band called shit fucker which <laughs> is massive in japan like fucking huge they became one of the they they became a massive punk band and then pete uh oh god i can't remember what band he's in but he's in a metal band that is like fucking huge now um so you know like like from from that one show to to kind of inspire you know, kind of like a, a a small cadre of folks that went on to make really fucking rad music. I, I you know, like I, I, had, I, I literally only had these pieces put together for me like a couple of months ago. So I'm still like, I can't believe that shit. That's wild. Yeah, it's always really funny, like how formative uh, a something can be for one person, but for another person, it's just like it was just another it's just another night, man. It's just yeah, Tuesday. You hear it from somebody else like, oh, my God, like, you know, that changed that changed my perception on life or like that made me go into this area or something like that. It, it's not um, I don't mean it to sound like an ego trip or anything, but if anybody ever tells you that it's like, oh, man, like I'm doing something right. Yeah. Or I exactly. did something right that, you know, changed the course of something like I was part of something bigger. Yeah. Because like I said, for you, it could have been like, man, this is this is tough and it's like it's just a tuesday and like i'm just doing what i do kind of thing but for them they're like no man what you're doing is amazing please keep doing it and that's yeah that's the kind of thing it's always great to hear yeah Um, absolutely and and pete by the way is in this uh amazing metal band called perversion so ah okay uh, yeah definitely you know i i definitely wanted to make sure that i got that out there Uh, you know as long as we're shouting people out so you are uniquely uh, able to answer this question for me amongst my friends. Uh, sure. You're one of the ones that absolutely loves punk, but punk has so many like sub genres of punk rock music. You're not kidding. What is crust punk? Okay. All right. So crust punk is specifically uh, a genre of punk that has a heavy crossover with metal. Uh, uh, stylistically, okay. that's really all it is, is it generally tends to be uh very fast uh you know the uh, very you know guitar heavy guitar driven uh sometimes solo driven but like crust also sort of describes the aesthetic of of punk right mm-hmm. um specifically crust punks are known to not shower very much so that was my context clue and that's what i thought it was all about and i that's where the crust why. comes from yes <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> right. All right. Um, so I would. Yeah, it's it's sometimes also referred to as like D beat. D beat sort of like a subgenre of crust punk. Um, but it's it, you know a lot of the you know the the just screaming, just you know uh, uh, played very fast. Um, you know, even though there's variations of that, uh, yeah, those those are the things that tend to, um, stylistically define crust punk. All right, so I was I was driving on the right road, but I didn't know I was and going in the right direction. So like I I had like one of the clues, but not all of the clues. Yeah, I I don't know. I you know I don't know how much you guys watch other Twitch streamers like political Twitch streamers like Hasanabi, who always makes the joke that you know our anarchists don't shower. That's kind of the origin of it. Actually, sure. actually, <laughs> the best reference I could make to it, um, the two punk characters on Portlandia that are like spare changing. Yeah. Those are crust punk stylistic, you know, like that they'll have patches everywhere that yeah. generally the patch is not just so that you know what band they like. It actually does hold the garment together in some <laughs> form or fashion. Um, you know, uh, yeah, the, I, I hung out with a lot of crusty punks, uh, you know, uh, in Detroit the, you know, I was in a crust punk band after AWOL, uh, sort of wrapped up, uh, Isaac and I continued on to, to form uprising, which was like, um, you know, a, a crust, it, it was a crust punk band as much as you could be while still living with your parents in the suburbs. Uh, I, I you had sent me uh, your uprising stuff because you've got it up on Bandcamp. Yeah, we were listening to it before we started. Yeah, yes. and I, yeah. I definitely wanted to talk to you about that. Uh, very cool stuff. No song longer than like two and a half minutes, so very punk rock. Yep. Um, but you sing in that band. That's wanted... a very that's a very generous description of what I did in that band. Well, I wanted to ask because when I hear a vocalist that sounds like that, my first thought is always. How are you going to do that every night? Or how are you going to do that 10 years from now? And yeah. Ever, did no. that ever occur to you while you were I like, I'm going to sing this like throaty, death metal-y kind of like, this is how I'm going to do it. So I I had had, okay, so when I was in AWOL, I think I, that was like the first time that I had done, you know, punk vocals of any kind. And it was just like shouty, you know, like kind of kind of stuff. And the weird thing about that, like, so the last show that AWOL ever played, we played at, we actually played with Chiodos uh, in Flint, uh, which they were still called the Chiodos Brothers at that time. And um, they were just, like, I, we had no idea who they were. Like, the fact that they became, like, kind of mega famous uh, after that is hilarious because, to, uh, like to me they were just like a band with haircuts right like yep. that's that's really all they were and I don't think I even stayed to watch their set because I was horrendously sick during during that that show and so I you know I'm doing backup vocals but there was one song where we did that sort of you know punk rock thing where we all switch instruments and yeah. so I I did one song as a as a vocalist and I actually ruptured something in my throat. And so for like two weeks afterwards, I'm I'm not just hacking up big balls of phlegm. They're big balls of bloody phlegm. Yeah. 
and it was t- it was terrifying and so it was like okay uh i need to find a better way of doing this and so if you actually you can you can if anyone cares i don't know that anyone would but uh uprise detroit.bandcamp.com you can hear what recordings of the band exist and on the demo you can you know you can hear a much different version of my vocal styles it's much lower it's a little bit more um i don't want to say grunted but like it's a it's definitely like a little bit more back in the throat and that i think was damaging um I think that's why I'm always like when I hear that vocal style, when I hear you know people screaming and stuff, and that's why I always think that is because when I was in a band growing up, like Nirvana was our prototype, so I did a lot of screaming myself, and I yeah. know I broke something in here. Right. And- to, um, if you go on the emo side of things, that is why from first to last fell apart, because Sonny Moore could not scream like he used to scream anymore, and now he's Skrillex. Right. Same dude. He, and he like he has gone back like but he did do a date with them like a year or two ago where he did get on stage and actually sing and he was able to do it but he had yeah. to modify a little bit yeah which I'm noticing with a lot of my my aging rockers all of them are modifying how they sing things live now and I'm like oh you're getting older oh but 100%. yeah you know you have that or the guy what the dude from Avenged Sevenfold also had that where he had like surgery and stuff on his throat so yeah the fact that you now do radio stuff it's like luckily your voice still works right right yeah luckily it it held up and you know there are days where it's like you know man all i did was like talk to a couple of people today and i'll sit down to record an episode of let's play and my 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 voice will just be dead you know it'll just it'll rasp in the wrong places and uh, you know, you can just tell it's it's really tired. And I'm like, is that from what I did in my time, uh, you know, in a punk band? Right. So, like, there was really never a consideration. How do I do this every night? Like, uh, we never toured. We tried to. We tried really, really hard to. But, like, all of us were still pretty young. Yeah. Um. So... It's funny because uh, so in Uprising, there was me, there was Isaac, uh, there was Tim and Danny. That was that was the original lineup. And Tim was like, he was like, I'm going to get us a van and we, you know, or he had a van. And he was like, yeah, we're going to we can take that on the road. And we were just going to go. We were going to do like Chicago and up to Minneapolis because Minneapolis was a really big sort of like DIY cross punk town at that sure. point. So we were like, we want to get up there. And uh, my parents were going to go on a trip to England. And they asked me if I wanted to go. And I was like, nah, I, I, when they told me the dates, I'm like, no, nah, I'm going to be on tour then. And so like two days, you know, they take off, they go to fucking, you know, London or whatever. And then like two days before we're supposed to leave, Tim was like, yeah, man, I can't, I can't do it. My parents aren't going to let me use the van. Yeah. And it was just like, it was heartbreaking. But at the same time, he was like 16 or 17. You know what I mean? Like his parents would have had to have been insane to let us take. And there's no way, like looking back on it now, there's no way that that van would have gotten us out of the state. 100%. Then you were like, I can't believe they're doing this. Now you're like, I can't believe they didn't stop us sooner. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but what I, I, I just I wish. Yeah. I wish someone had been sort of realistic with me and been like, go to fucking England, you idiot. 
Like, you know, what do you like? Even if you do go on tour, what do you think you're going to like be in a band for the rest of your fucking life? Like, go, dude, go to England. Getting some UK shit over there. Yeah, exactly. Like you're going to be able to go buy the excellent records. Just go yeah. and do that. And like, you know, but like, I think, I think the, the tour was my idea and I had booked most of the shows. And so like I had done most of the work for it. And I was like, I, it's like, you know, uh, what do what do you call it? Gambler's fallacy, you know, yeah. just added too much invested. So anyway, um, what's funny about that though, is that Tim after uprising went on to be in a very successful hardcore band called fireworks that wow. toured and like was on warp tour and it was just like where was that energy for us tim no i'm kidding tim by the way tim's fucking awesome uh, i'm 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 being sort of general with the names cuz i'm not sure how many people want me to talk about mostly because He's now a fucking uh, a, a doctor, like he's a cancer doctor. So like, you know what I mean? Like he's gone on to. In fact, actually, both Tim and Danny went on to be doctors. So like, uh, doctor walks in and he's got the scrubs on, but then his arms just sleeve from the wrist up. <laughs> oh yeah, and In tattoos. That's Tim. Oh for sure, he's got a big chest piece. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. But yeah, um, so you know, like. Yeah, that was the it, uprising was was a lot of fun. Uh, we did, you know, we did our demo session. We did one session in an actual studio. We went to Woodshed Studios right up a, off a nine mile. Um, That's cool. Uh, it, it, you know, uh, I'm sure you guys have driven by that wig store a hundred times. Yeah. That's right on nine mile. Yeah. Next door to it is a recording studio. Nobody knows about. Actually, like a lot of people know about, but like you wouldn't know looking at it because there's no signage for it whatsoever. It seems to be the trick a lot of the places I've noticed because there's a lot of different recording studios around within like you even have like Ferndale and stuff. But I grew up down the street from the recording studio where ICP used to record. And yeah. so I used to run into them at like 7-Eleven and stuff. <laughs> and they really like frappuccinos and i believe it stuff like that so they were always at starbucks too with the chains and everything but like when you have that like you go by it and you never notice it's there you know you're yeah. gonna have a good time in a recording studio you, you have to move the dumpster to the side to open the door yes straight up and this i swear to god that's awesome. what we had to do it's uh, it might not sound amazing, but it's going to be awesome. The energy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but anyway, this, so that's Woodshed Studio. It's run by Tim Pack, who uh, was in this band called Angry Red Planet that was on Alternative Tentacles nice. um, with Jello Biafra's label. So yeah. like there's a small Dead Kennedys connection. We worked with some really fucking really cool people. And then the other session that we did that I'm actually working on mixing now, which, you know, I know it's like 20 years later, uh, but uh, that was recorded in Isaac's basement with Ryan V from Rebel Spies and the Suicide Machines. Sweet. Um, so, Very yeah, cool. like we we worked with a lot of really, really cool people in our sort of like short three, four years as a band. Um, just, uh, just a real quick aside, musician to musician. Which did you enjoy better, recording music or playing live? That's a really good question. I think recording it because yeah. I, 
you know, I, I'm kind of a nerd. Like, I, I really get into, like, the studio environment. I've yeah. worked in a studio. Like, the radio station that I work at right now has the, I think, the very last, like, functional band studio uh, in Detroit. Um, so, like, yeah, like, that kind of stuff has always been, you know, like, really, really fascinating and interesting to me. You know, what's funny is the local music podcast that I did before we did this show. I always ask bands that question. You're the first one to say uh, studio. Really? Because well, I, it's studio. Yeah. I loved being in the studio, but I, then that's why I always ask it because I'm always interested. And you were the first local musician I've talked to. It's like, yeah, I think I like being in the studio more than I like being on stage. Well, and here's the thing is like... It makes we never, sense. We both worked in radio, so we're both nerds. Like, yeah, that. that that there that that's definitely a distinct possibility. But like, there's also this thing where like, Uprising never played really big shows. Like, we never played in front of a crowd that was like massive. And like, when we did play in front of crowds, like, they didn't know or really care that much. Um, and and there was a point. Uh, and I actually have the flyer for the show right here. What was this? Oh, show that on camera. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Deviate Detroit. Nice. So uh, this was uh, a show at Alvin's that had a ton of bands on it. Right. And uh, it was like, it, it was, it, I mean, it was a really big deal to like have a sort of like DIY punk show that big in detroit and we got asked to play it and we agreed and then and i'm still i'm still embarrassed about this um but at the same time it's it's also only about half my fault uh (laughs) but the show got written about in like either real detroit or metro times and that was in sort of like my punker than thou like you know like i and and again you know kind of going back to the green day thing i didn't really care about like what other bands did or like bands that called themselves punk or whatever but like with my band i was really serious like genuinely really serious about what i the way that i wanted it presented who we wanted to be associated with and like what kind of ethics we wanted to be associated with and so when we saw it was in Metro Times, like not only was it in Metro, it got a write up, but it also got an ad. Like somebody paid money to like have it in there. Uh, we we contacted the organizer and said, "Hey, uh, we're not going to do this anymore." And uh, to borrow a term from uh, wrestling, that got us nuclear heat yeah, uh, in okay. the Detroit scene, and people stopped booking us on shows. Like right. we were before that show uh we were mostly playing shows booked by other people and so we were playing in front of crowds that were you know fairly decent sized after that happened we got no invitations to play shows and we basically had to start booking our own and so it was like no fuck it do it yourself you know and and we did and you know we got really like fucking amazing bands to to come through and and to play with us um you know we played with contravene who we uh it was like our favorite punk band at the time from arizona that's cool. and, and uh we eventually did a split record with like one side was contravene the other side was uprising that was so cool they were they were really really genuinely awesome people uh played with bread and water um 
We played with, uh, you know, we had a show booked with Wolf Brigade before uh, Jan got a vocal cord infection and had to to cancel it. Uh, we played with Cacistocracy and Witch Hunt. And I'm sure that these names mean almost nothing to, to anyone, but anyone who does kind of like is aware of what that scene was in like 2004, there's some big names that are that are in there. And so I was really proud of the fact that like, you know, even though we were sort of outcast in this in the the scene so to speak we were like still determined to to make it work um so but like it, it also made it really hard to be a band at that yeah. point too like you know people weren't really buying our shit and like so that's why we were really like excited about things like trying to get out of the city and do a tour and stuff like that uh we were really excited about like having a split record with a band that wasn't another detroit band so we got like way farther out there and exposed to a whole bunch of people and i still get people who remember that split record and um stuff and we we put out our own seven inch um that i still i still have like a hundred copies of if somebody wants this for some reason nice um you know like and and so like yeah we really sort of like we're like okay you know we we bootstrapped it up and was like fuck it um you know we're gonna do this stuff ourselves and and try to make it work and you know it was fucking tough and we only ended up playing i don't know like less than 20 shows in the you know three or four years that we were around um and they were fun but like yeah i think i got more out of the studio and record making process especially because we ended up pressing our own right like I think that's a that's a totally different thing from like, oh, hey, you know, I showed up at the studio one day and I played the song. And then the next thing I knew, I had a CD of my stuff. You know, it's like a totally different process to be like, okay, you know, we were, you know, we're going to book the studio time. Uh, We're, you know, we're going to be there for the mixing. Uh, We're going to choose the the mastering plant to send it off to. Uh, we're going to get the test presses back. we got to approve the test presses. And now we've got several hundred records that we have to figure out what to do with. Right. Um, that was, I think that was a much more interesting challenge to me and one that I could overcome where I was much less interested in playing scene politics and having to, you know, glad hand people that I didn't really like. And, you know, the 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 final message that I got was, uh, you know, from like the the punk scene was uh, there was one night when Isaac and I went to uh, a show and someone ended up throwing a cinder block through Isaac's windshield. Uh, Yeah, we had to drive it home like that. It was fucked up. And so, yeah, like it was pretty clear that there was a uh you know a certain section of folks that did not want us even there at a show as as uh observers so yeah that that definitely made things a little awkward and then you know once um once i started going to college it was sort of like you know i can come down some weekends for like band practice or if we get a gig you know i can show up for that uh but uh you know when when isaac finally went to you know went to college it was like okay this is pretty much a summer activity now um yeah, exactly so, yeah you've seen that yes you. we have <laughs> yes we have 
Uh, I had one more question I wanted to throw by you before we wrap this up. Uh, yeah. We talk about your your vinyl records and your love of of of, of the the format of the vinyl format was that was that born specifically because of like seven inches and singles and the fact that there were songs in these in this format that you couldn't get in another format 100 percent. yeah i i think and like that's that's sort of the other thing that you kind of got to remember about diy punk especially in like the early 2000s uh is that there was not a whole lot of interest in putting that music out on CD. Like there was, there was like, you know, I think it was a goal to be less commercially accessible. Right. So CDs were like a thing for like a band that had a large enough discography to put out a discography record. You know what I mean? Um, So most of what I wanted to hear only existed on vinyl. Um, and so it really, it, it was, it was an incentive, uh, for me to, to, you know, start building up a collection, but like seven inches are still a huge, massive part of my collection. Yeah. And I think, uh, the, the real attraction to that was like $6 and I get to check out a band I've never heard before. And I get like, okay. you know you know between two and seven songs or like if they're really you know a thrash band or a power violence band i can a band i can get 17 songs on a seven inch you never know yeah that's it, kind of the great thing about eps is if you really like the band then like you've got four to eight whole songs for it but if you really don't like the band you'll have to sit through about two or three more songs yeah and 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 it's uh, the splits were also really good for that too mm-hmm. where it's like i know i like this band and I'll check this other band out. And I, you know, like that's, that is, I think how my taste in punk grew. And, and like, I was exposed to other bands faster because I'm also a completionist. Like if I get really into a band, um, one of my first big punk obsessions was the pissed. Uh, I had to have the, the LP. I had to have all the EPs. I had to have the split EPs. Then I started listening to the other side and all this brutally familiar band. This is really good. And so like, yeah, like that's, uh, you know, just the act of like, hey, you know, we don't want to spend, uh, uh, you know, like twelve hundred dollars on pressing a, a an EP. Let's both spend six hundred and we right. both get an EP out of it. Uh, fucking brilliant. Like yeah. accident. I don't know. I think it's accidentally brilliant, but like. Fuck, I have found so many bands uh, from from just doing that alone. And yeah, I, I would say, um, especially early on in my collecting, I was always way more on the lookout for seven inches that I wanted, way more than than LPs. Do you have anything else? Not that I can think of. No? No. Nate, thank you so much. We could talk about this stuff for hours, and I'm sure we're going to have you back to talk about more stuff. But before we let you go, plug your shit. Uh, absolutely. So, uh, if you, uh, are interested in uprisings, music, uprise, Detroit, uh, dot bandcamp.com. Uh, we do have those four final songs that we, uh, recorded, but never really released in an official capacity. Uh, those are going to be coming out one at a time, uh, on Bandcamp as soon as I finalize the mix. Um, so, uh, but once all four of them are out, we're looking at uh, getting it uh, pressed on to some form of vinyl. I don't know if it's going to be like a 
low run lathe or what it's going to be but uh i don't know if somebody out there with a record label is listening and is interested uh get a hold of me at nate benderama on uh twitter is uh uh actually where you can do that and uh if you want to listen some to something completely unrelated if you like uh video game news uh delivered uh weekdays monday through friday i do a daily video game news podcast called let's play daily gaming news that's what you got to search for uh so make sure to check that out and uh also i'm doing a weekly segment on wdet's culture shift called the one update uh where uh you know i get to talk a little bit more in depth about some of these uh big news stories that i report on on let's play so uh you can check all that out over at wdet.org thank you so much nate Thank you, guys. This was a lot of fun. Absolutely. We'll be right back with more of the Really Big Fan Podcast. Welcome back to the Really Big Fan Podcast. Thanks again to Nate Bender for hanging out with us and talking about punk music. You can, uh, as he said, follow him on all of his projects. He's on uh, Twitter at Nate Benderama, but then he's also doing the Let's Play Daily Gaming News Podcast. He's still uh, streaming over at Limit Break Radio's Twitch stream, and uh, he's he's always got a lot of irons in the fire. Yeah. He's a good dude. He's a good dude. Well, as we uh, wrap up this week's uh, podcast, um, let's just get into it. Let's do the serotonin boost. I always want to say melatonin boost. I'm like, that's the sleepy. That's for being sleepy. <laughs> uh, this week, my serotonin boost comes to us from Space Dive. So they had a room at Space Dive where they had a projector up. And I really liked that room because at first they were just showing like old Panasonic, Japanese Panasonic commercials with George Lucas in them and uh, old Star Wars, like Empire Strikes Back um, cartoons and, and uh, commercials for stuff like that. But then they played a song that the bad lip reading people did, and every, it's been in my head. I've listened to it every single day. It's called The Future, and if you haven't heard it, I highly encourage you to go on uh, YouTube and search out the video. It is amazing. It is way better than it has any right to be as a song, to the point that I actually went on the C3 website for Rock Band and found that somebody had tracked The Future. So you can guarantee the next time we sit down to play rock band, we're going to be playing that song. Oh, absolutely. It's and so fun. It's in the post that I put up today on our Instagram account. It's a, only like seven seconds. You can check it out. Yeah. Or you can go to mine and look at the Space Dive video and you can hear like a full minute of it, too, if you want to really invest your time. <laughs> so fun. So funny. And of course, mine is going to be Blink-182 because last night was awesome. I did not get the shirt there. I will say that this is from Target for $12, which, yes, I am finally of the age that my bands are being converted into Target, Target graphic shirts. tees. Yep. Um, but they did a great job. Uh, we we kind of ended up going last minute, and what worked out was that we got tickets in a really what would be considered a horrible spot necessarily, but we could actually see everything Travis Barker was doing because we were sort of behind him, Yeah, which they, was really fun to see. They had sections behind the stage, so like we're seeing the projector backwards for the yes. giant screen and stuff, and like when the fireworks go off, they're in front of the thing, so like we see them down here go off, but then there's nothing, but we could see from where we were down to the stage, which was cool because the stage had the, the Blink-182 emblem yep. on it, and then like it that lit up at certain points, which was really neat. 
Uh, but yeah, it was it was cool to see the bands kind of from behind, and then you can kind of look out and see what they're seeing, the big crowds and stuff. Yeah, I got some pictures. I posted one picture up. Um, I did not professionally shoot the show, but I did get some pictures with my phone that actually turned out pretty solid. And uh, at the end of the show, when they were in doing Damn It, they always put an interjection of a different song in there, just like a slip of a bar. And we weren't really sure because we had seen Mbop on the set list. The two princes. Two princes. There was, uh, I believe, it a thing called Love. Yep. I think they did Ice Darkness. Ice Baby. And they used to do just TLC's No Scrubs. Yep. I know for Coachella they did um, I Wish I Was a Little Bit Taller. I Wish It Was a Baller. That's cool. Last night they did Taylor Swift. Um, <laughs> we're never, ever. Yes. <laughs> and that was amusing as hell because she's currently on tour right now and she just played like a two and a half hours set in the rain. So it was nice to see them give her a nod, even though Travis is married to our Kardashian. Sure. So there's drama there. If you know it, you do. I'm not going to give you a rundown if you need it. <laughs> you can look it up. Yeah. Blink is more of like, a, for me, it's more of a, um, like, I, I know the hits kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought the set was very good. Even the songs that I didn't know, I was like, this is fun. This is fine. Yeah. You had a harder time with Turnstile. I did, yeah. There's something about Turnstile. Like, they're, they're doing things I should be, like, it should totally be my my shit. And there's just something about it that I'm like, nah, I'm not into this. And I don't, <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> well, awesome. Uh, anything else you want to add to the, the no, mixture today? Plug our shit, I guess. Like, like we just had Nate do. Of course, you can follow us on all the social media at Really Big Fan Pod. That's where you, uh, you can find us on Twitch. On Wednesday mornings, we do a replay on Wednesday evenings around 7, 7.30 of uh, this week's episode. Thursday, it goes up on uh, YouTube, usually. Usually. I, I messed up last week, and I didn't get to upload Erica's because I got too busy. So Nate's and Erica's will be going up at the same time. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, then you can hear the audio version of the podcast wherever you get your podcast: Spotify, iTunes, uh, or Google Podcast, Apple Podcast. Wherever you're getting it, it should be up there distributing-wise. And uh, as always, rate and review us. Let us know what you think. Follow us on all social media. Follow us on uh, on Twitch. Give us a sub. And uh, hang out or go and check out our Patreon. We don't have any cool like bonuses for Patreon yet. It's something we're still like, like in the planning processes of. But whenever you donate to us, it allows us to take the time to do the show and to you know make sure we have the equipment to do the show and have a good time. Heck yeah. All right. We'll be back next week with the Really Big Fan Podcast. We're uh, actually doing the interview tonight. It's going to be really fun, and uh, we'll talk to you then. So I used the future in the background of our post on our Instagram account. Yeah. But I put up Obi-Wan Kenobi going, well, of course I know him. He's me. <laughs> I could totally see Ewan McGregor delivering that line. I wish we'd get another season of Obi-Wan. Oh, so that would be could, great. So we could see him deliver that line with a, his smirk. Because <laughs> he's like, he's certainly, it's kind of like Yoda. Like every Jedi is a little bit of a, a smart ass. <laughs> He'd be like, well, of course I know him. He's me.
Hello there. Hello there. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's a generational thing. If somebody says hello there, you either hear General Kenobi or where are you? It's true. It's absolutely <laughs> true. The other the other night I heard you in here listening to a video and I heard hello there. And I thought it was the Blink-182, hello there. So I responded with where are you? But most times it's General Kenobi. <laughs> 